optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a broken time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com TFS. TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Tim. Guten Tag, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers of all different types. This episode features Kyle Maynard, and you're going to want to check him out, I promise. And on Twitter, you can say hello at Kyle Maynard, K-Y-L-E-M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. People often ask me, who inspires you? Who do you look up to? One immediate answer is Kyle Maynard. Despite being born without full arms or legs, he has gone on to achieve feats of athleticism and much more that most people would only dream of. They might not even think of dreaming of these things. This includes being the first quadruple amputee to climb Mount Kilimanjaro without the aid of prosthetics, being inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, as in collegiate wrestling, believe it, and competing professionally in mixed martial arts. He is just a phenom. And uh, we actually had a chance to do a short wrestling demo with takedowns that almost broke my knee and then an arm throw on video, which you can see. 
And uh, in this episode, we cover many stories that Kyle has never discussed or shared publicly before. The audio comes from my new TV show, Fearless, and that is Fear Less with less in parentheses because it's about learning to fear less, where I interview world-class performers on stage about how they've overcome doubt, conquered fear, and made some of their toughest decisions. You can watch the entire first episode with David Blaine, the illusionist and endurance artist, for free at att.net forward slash fearless. Again, that's att.net forward slash fearless. And to watch all of the episodes, there are 10 of them, including the episode with Kyle, please visit DirecTV Now. So you can just Google DirecTV Now. Uh, DirecTV with one T. So not DirecTV, but DirecTV. We recorded three hours of material and only one hour was used for the TV show. This podcast episode is almost entirely new content that did not appear on television. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here is the incredible Kyle Maynard. Welcome to Fearless. I'm your host, Tim Ferriss. And on this stage, we'll be deconstructing world-class performers of all types to uncover the specific tactics they've used to overcome doubt, tackle hard decisions, and ultimately succeed on their own terms. My guest tonight is a member of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, New York Times bestselling author, and has summited Mount Kilimanjaro, among others. He inspires audiences around the world with his message, and he conquers challenges with his own unique style. Please welcome to the stage, athlete, author, and mountaineer, Kyle Maynard. Around the world, what's up, everybody? <laughs> How's it going? Boom. <laughs> How many siblings do you have? Three sisters. Yeah. Three sisters. Yeah, what doesn't kill you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I grew up with one little brother, so I was the bastard in that relationship. I'm the like, I need to try this wrestling move on you, like running around the house. Don't run away. I know this is going to be fun. <laughs> I was I was on the inflicting side, uh, unfortunately. Well, there are a lot of grown men I'd rather fight than my sisters. You know, so. <laughs> and your dad seems like a tough dude. Not a bad dude, but like tough former wrestler. Uh, I'm sure he's he, loving that right now. He did slip me a 20, so <laughs> in fairness. But how were your parents' parenting styles different? There um, was a difference for sure. And I think it was, like, it was a good balance. Um, wrestling. My dad was like, he wanted me to be the, the finesse wrestler, you know? And my mom was like, she told me, if you put somebody enough pain on the mat with you, like, they'll find a way to get out. They'll find a way to get off the mat. <laughs> and, like, that was, so she was like, had this, like, tenacity. That's like a Cobra Kai. Right, right? exactly, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Take the leg. It was. <laughs> what, mom? Thanks, mom, right? <laughs> when did your grandparents enter the picture in terms of your close relationship with them? Like hours after I was born. Yeah, they were there the whole time. And what was your, what was your relationship like with your, with your grandparents? I mean, it's been the best. Without them, I mean, they were everything to me, you know? <clears throat> I got to, like, choke back the, the tears sometimes. This, I mean, my grandma, so she passed last year. And it was really, like, like a big moment for me in terms of um, kind of, like, that awakener of, like, what is my life about, really, you know? My grandma, you know... Um, you know, so she kind of said this, you know, from her experiences, you know, in, in a, like a religious background, but I think it can be sort of even like a more universal sense if you apply this. Like she said that Kyle, like God, 
doesn't make mistakes, you know? I, and I take that to go and mean too, even like the universe doesn't make mistakes, right? That they're, and, and whether or not that's true, it doesn't matter, but it's a cool, it's an in, interesting place to come from, right? The Stoics talk a lot about like fate and like how we're on this path and this trajectory and like whether or not that's true, it doesn't really matter. But if we go and, you know, act as if it's so and that things are as they should be, it's just a better place to be, I think. I used to pray every night, like when I was a kid, like I would just like wait, wish that I could wake up and have arms and legs, you know? And if I had spent my entire life focused on that, it would have been a different life. Yeah, definitely. But she was everything. I mean, she, she, I think that the most powerful lesson that she ever taught me was, um, we used to go around in grocery stores together, just up and down the aisles of the grocery store. And sometimes, you know, when, um, we would meet people, I mean, she would just, she, would teach me, says, as soon as people hear your voice and they see your face and they shake your hand, they'll totally forget about the disability. And, you know, it's like a embedded, like hypnotic command almost, you know, it's like, that's like so much of my life has been colored by that. And everybody that I meet now, you know, I want to meet them. And then 15 minutes after it's not really the disability is not like that, that big of a deal. Yeah. So she was, yeah. Grandma Betty. But now I can, it's kind of funny too, because like I can read people's eyes in terms of like, you know, almost like you can see like subtitles scrolling across sometimes, right? <laughs> and I go to like shake somebody's hand and 99% of the time I get a normal handshake back or whatever, yeah. fist bump, you know, and then like at that 1% of the time I, or less, maybe one out of a couple hundred, I see this like just fear and panic, right? Yeah. You go to shake their hand and they're like, pause. And it's like, guy doesn't have an arm. What does he want me to do? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I just hang out and wait and they come in for like an awkward elbow bump or something like, <laughs> like, thanks bro. That was awesome. That was really cool. <laughs> I like how you process that. Good work. What about your grandfather? He, uh, my grandpa, um, for one, super smart and I did not inherit those, uh, those genes. He, um, I mean like super smart. He was like valedictorian and engineers, like, you know, um, valedictorian at um, University of Illinois as an engineer. I mean, he was in with his mindset, him and my dad, my dad was a engineer as well. And they really, you know, were just great at being able to figure out ways to be able to go and adapt different things, you know, and like the, the actual tools of, of what would be helpful. Problem solvers. Yeah, totally, man. I didn't learn to swim, believe it or not, until I was in my thirties. When did you learn to swim? I was on, it's funny, I was on Howard Stern and he called my dad a dick for this. <laughs> but my dad basically put me in the middle of the pool, taught me how to float on my back. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he thought that I was like good and I got it, then he got out of the pool. And he was like, now figure out how to get out. <laughs> so you're you like, <laughs> okay. So immediately start crying and just straight to the bottom of the pool, right? Yeah. So it was, but you know, kind of, yeah, it was like probably four years old, something like that, three or four. Wow. Was the writing, like if you had writing, eating, swimming, what was the most difficult of those? And is there something else that I'm missing aside from asking girls out <laughs> that was particularly difficult for you? The physical stuff was, was less taxing to kind of like figure out. There was, you know, I, I kind of had this idea, this belief, like, I, you know, that there would always be a way, there'd be some tool. Driving in particular was a little bit trickier, you know, I was a little bit older because it was, um, I, I want to be in, in terms of like the adaptations and the equipment that I use a lot more sort of Spartan, right? Like I want things to be very simple, very mechanical, like very little, you know, few points of failure. And, um, 
first vehicle that um, this group, an amazing group that helps people with spinal injuries in Atlanta, wanted to go and help have me drive. It was this massive, this massive Ford van. I and mean, it was like this huge thing with like, um, it was like, I had these touchscreen computers, but this is back in like 2002 or three, yeah. right? And so he's like touchscreen computers and like joystick for the, you know, gas, the brake. And I'm like, oh my, this is crazy, right? And I'm driving in like tiny lanes in Atlanta, rush hour traffic with this like giant death trap. Like it was just <laughs> this tank that's going down, barreling down the highway. And I'm like, I no, never again. I'm not doing that again. You know, like not control deleting on the freaking highway. Like there's no way. And like, so I just, escape, yeah, escape. Escape. <laughs> literal, right? Object. But now, I mean, and so they have pedals that, um, drive just a, like an SUV and it's just got basically lifted up and extended pedals. They're very simple. You mm -hmm. pop in my car and drive it. And it's like, um, just put your legs underneath it and the, um, you know, use my left foot to hit the brake and my right foot to, to hit the gas and grab the steering wheel with my arms. And, um, my mountain guide friend actually, who's done some pretty scary things like climbed Everest and stuff said that like one of the scariest moments of his life was when he's driving me for the first time. And I grabbed my phone to like answer it while we're driving. <laughs> I got, I got like the Bluetooth thing going now. So like, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Cub Scouts. Just, Sweet. just in <laughs> general, awesome. just forget all these people. I want to talk about the Cub Scouts. Awesome. Should I join? No, yeah. uh, the, I read a story about a cave. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. your experience? Yeah. I think this is like where I found my, my environment. I found my, my homeland, you know, it was like, like Gimli and Lord of the Rings or something, you know, like <laughs> I, uh, I mean, in a sub training environment, I realized it was like this great equalizer. So we went to this cave in Indiana as in the Boy Scouts. We had my dad, and my grandpa were there and, um, you know, so you got to crawl through these like tunnels and, you know, right. And it's like these tiny wet cave tunnels. And I was like, awesome. Like just sprinted past everybody. Right. Like, this is great. I don't know why it's so hard for everyone, but <laughs> What drove you to the athletics and what, what came first? I guess the street hockey, was that sort of the first competitive sport? I don't know. Yeah. I didn't. So the first like uh, team sport that I played was, uh, was football and, and, and then wrestling, but it was like, um, I always had this interest in, in sports. I was uh, obsessed, you know, and had this delusion of like, you know, I'd be in the NBA someday or like, you know, I'd be like, a, you know, I was a big Atlanta Braves fan and like John Smoltz or Greg Maddox, like throwing fastballs and, you know, change ups and stuff. I'm like, mm -hmm. and I think the really cool thing was, is that my parents did let me have this, like have this dream. They didn't like squelch it. My mom was a little bit more pragmatic, I think. So when I did go to play football, you know, she was telling me that, you know, you might be the, like, you might be the water boy on the team, but they're going to find a place for you. And in my head, like I said, like, you know, I want to be the quarterback. I want to be throwing the spiral touchdowns. And it was interesting how those dreams, they didn't like, and as you kind of, I'm sure as you know, you can relate, right? Like the dreams that you may have had at a certain point, they didn't manifest exactly how you saw them go, but it, it set you on this path and this journey that then takes you down other turns and corridors and you go into other directions that you never would have imagined before. So the GNC's world strongest team started with 10 pounds, got up to 210 each arm. What, what was that? The world's strongest team for GNC. That was bench press, right? Yeah. So it was, um, basically I was 17, 18 years old. It was like, a we just kind of picked like a, a weight, 240 pounds. And I just did as many repetitions as I could sort of like a combine esque yeah. kind of situation. And, um, ended up at that competition. So I did 23 repetitions at that and weighed about like 
120 pounds at the time, but it's just crazy because like, I think, so I opened a gym about eight years ago and, and, you know, frequently when someone would come into the gym and like talk to me, a lot of times, or, or not just me, but one of our coaches, they would go and point at somebody doing something amazing. And then they would go and say like, there's no way I can go and do that. You know? And I hear that all the time. And that's like, to me, it's like, you know, you have no idea where that person started. You have no idea, like the massive amount of failure that went into to being able to go and get to that point where then they were doing something awesome. But the difference was, is they stuck it out, they did the work, and then that was the result. So yeah. you know, it's like I, I think if I could go back in time and tell that ten year old like that was really struggling, like yeah, someday you'd be able to go and you know lift that weight or travel the world as a speaker, or, you know, um, have businesses and you know date some amazing girls or all of that. It's just different experiences or climb some of the highest peaks in the world. Like if I could tell that 10 year old that, you know, it would almost seem like, like a fantasy story. Yeah. And I think that in coming back to that question that we talked about of like veterans, you know, and, and somebody maybe that's at a, a really hard spot, you know, if they could talk to someone 10 or 20 years, you know, like a version of themselves 10 or 20 years later after they had really faced some of these fears, then I think that they would have their mind blown as to what they'd be able to achieve. For sure. Was it, you mentioned the gym, which brings this to mind, and I've already alluded to this. This is like the red doorknob in Sixth Sense, so I'll get to my question, which is, Georgia, why did you guys move to Georgia? It was, uh, <clears throat> my grandparents moved down. And, and, um, and this yeah. was, I guess, what, sixth grade? Sixth grade, yeah. yeah. Grandparents moved down. I mean, just like, yeah, we're in Indiana, and it's just the... You know, it was, I mean, it was like the snow and like all that. It, it was the best thing that happened, I think, in, in, in doing the move and going to Georgia. But it was also at the time it felt like the worst. You know, it was, I tried to stage a family coup d'etat to like try to like overthrow my dad and go back to Indiana. You know, it was like I just I noticed that a lot, you know, now kind of get to sort of quasi mentor and help a lot of different kids with disabilities. And, and I noticed that those transitory periods Anytime, like where there's a major transition in someone's life, um, with a move or going, say you're going from middle school to high school or high school to college or college to like the, you know, the world, then it's, it's those periods of transition that are the most difficult. And cause it's like my friends in Indiana saw me as Kyle, it saw me as normal. And now I've got to go and like reacclimatize an entire new group of people in mm -hmm. Georgia. Yeah. How, how did you, I mean, I imagine the sports is a huge tool in the toolkit for that, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean jaw break a few dozen people. They're like, okay, I'm good with Kyle. Kyle's good. His body's everywhere. <laughs> just, right? it's, like, it's like a war movie. Uh, Don't mess with that what, game. Better be his friend. Yeah, like, so what, what, what helped you in that transition aside from the sports? I mean, what was the self-talk or what did your parents or grandparents say to you? I think they were, they were very much my, my mom, especially trying to constantly, you know, she was, she's like a big, she used to always talk about like psychosomatics, you know, and all this stuff, right? She's like, she, you know, she just would just talk about kind of mind over matter and like just be drilling things in my head of like focusing on the positive and all that. So it was really, I'm super glad that she, she had that perspective. Um, but you know, it wasn't always the case. My my mind didn't always obviously go there. And Differently, probably the one of the most difficult transitions that I faced was going from I was a freshman at University of Georgia and write a book. And as you know, when you go and launch a book, then it's like it changes your life pretty dramatically. And you know, the whole book tour and all this stuff got to be on 
Oprah and Larry King when I was 19. And it was like, just, I went from being a full-time college student to full-time business traveler overnight. And in my community, people knew me and they knew, you know, not that I like the disability and stuff like that wasn't as, you know, they didn't make it that big of an issue. But when I'd be gone and traveling, especially when I was traveling by myself, then many people looked at me very differently. And, you know, of course I want to help and things like that. And <clears throat> I've had some pretty hilarious events where it was like, for sure, I've learned that one of my like bigger challenges was like accepting help. But there were some times where I, I knew that it would just be better and easier if I like whatever it was, did it on my own. Right. Yeah. One time I'm in the New York airport in LaGuardia. It was a really super steep jetway. And, um, this guy and I get in a little bit of an argument where he tells me he works at the airport and he's telling me he has to push my wheelchair down this jetway. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'd be better, you know, better if I did it. Like, and he's like, no, I have to, it's a liability. And I'm like, we go back and forth, finally and give in. But this guy was like the tallest human being I've ever seen, literally. And he goes and takes about three steps down the jetway and he gets his foot caught in the back of my wheelchair and he goes down. <laughs> so he doesn't just like let go. He just launched me down the jetway. <laughs> And like, I'm sped up and I can see the people, their eyes at the bottom, like, this is it. He's coming. Like, what do we do? And, so, and I tried to grab the wall to slow myself down. And it was like this big streak of blood came down. Oh. So this is a big CSI crime scene. And I'm like, wow. And I hit the bottom of the you know, ramp and all that and like flipped out of the chair. And oh, I was Jesus. laughing hysterically when I'd survived. And like, it... <laughs> You're like, good liability coverage, right, totally, pal. Thanks man, for that. Right. I was like, dude, just, it's all good. Never, ever help me again, please, right? Stop helping me. Uh... <laughs> My coach used to stay after in practice, and he would literally tuck his arms into his sleeves and wrestle from my perspective, you know, and try to, for hours, like, just try to figure out moves they could go and do. I think a lot of times too, we look at things and we forget, like, you know, we look at one person that's achieved something great and we're like, oh man, that one, that, that person, right? And we don't see the massive amount of people, the hundreds of people or thousands of people that have poured, you know, their life into exactly. like trying to help that person. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, uh, read an essay by Arnold Schwarzenegger recently, which was, I am not a self-made man. And he basically made the same point. It's like, people ask me all the time as a self-made man, blah, blah. He's like, let me stop you right there. Cause you don't see these all of these other people, all the other input. Did jujitsu come into the picture first or opening of the gym? The jujitsu came in because I, I saw some Gracie videos and I was like, I want to try this stuff. Gracie's and, in yeah, action? Right. Is Gracie, it? yeah, there's oh, probably yeah. some Gracie's in action. And <laughs> the I, footage of the cheetahs catching the line. <laughs> right. This is like VHS 90s. <laughs> it was like 88, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah, it was classic. Early, early days. Early days, like... Man, but yeah, so much, I mean, like that, I saw those videos and I was like, whoa, like a hu another human's able to do this to another human? Like, I, I have to learn. <laughs> and I went in and I got choked out by a girl and I was like, <laughs> super quick too. She triangle choked me, slapped it on. I was like, out, you know, and I was like wrestling club level, but still like preparing to go to the nationals in good shape. <laughs> Wrestlers love to get caught me. in triangles. Totally. So, <laughs> worst you know <laughs> she's all the bad habits like oh god i really want to demo a triangle choke now but well we're gonna save that we just got our heads all done we just got done uh so the jujitsu i need to do that to another human being choke people yes must do that well, i saw her this chick do this to this guy that was she, this girl she did it to a guy that was like 200 pounds the next oh, day amazing. and i was yeah. like how could that how could this be you know
Did the jiu-jitsu then, did you get bitten by that bug before opening the gym or was it concurrently? What was the timeline on that? It was a little bit before. Um, okay. I'd been training for a few years and then, um, you know, opened the gym and actually chose to pursue a fight in MMA like within a couple of months. I mean, it was like... It's fast. It's yeah, ambitious. So, yeah. it, you know, we, um, I, I had tried to do a fight, MMA fight before in 2007 and got denied. Um, and so... Just the state wouldn't commission it or, or the, I guess the athletic commission wouldn't sanction it? Yeah, it was it, the head commissioner. He's in a wheelchair, actually. He told me, I think this is amazing what you're doing here for people with disabilities, and we support you doing this. And then um, at a commission meeting, wouldn't, won't be a problem to get your license. It's an amateur fight in Georgia. And then, like, a uh, couple weeks before the fight, like, I don't know, there's a big outcry on the Internet. A lot of people had opinions about things and said some pretty gnarly stuff. And, I mean, my sisters were, like, crying reading some of this stuff. You know, people saying, you know, Kyle's a limbless freak show, get doing this to get back on TV and come take a chainsaw and cut off my arms and legs so I can get on TV too. You know, like the cl super classy YouTube comments, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, and it was kind of my first time doing something that was very polarizing like that. Yeah. And, um, it was a, it was a unique experience and it was also coupled around like right around the time I had just opened the gym, some training for the fight, um, you know, and, and like some nights like sleeping at the gym, I mean, had opened, opened it up and it was like, coaching all the classes. I'm like the CEO. I'm also the janitor, you know, somebody like goes and pukes during a workout, got to go clean the toilet. It's like, you know, so kind of, I mean, all of those things are going on simultaneously trying to go and prepare for this fight, which is like one of the biggest events in my life. And, um, it was a wild experience, but I looked back on that. It was, it's amazing. Some of my, my best friends, actually, some of them, uh, one of them is here. It was a director of a, we produced documentary on it, ESPN bot. And then, um, now it's on Netflix, but it's, it's an what's, amazing journey. What's the doc called? It's called a fighting chance. Fighting chance. Yeah. So that was your first time sort of being thrown to the internet wolves, in a sense? Yeah. <laughs> you know a thing or two. They're hungry. <laughs> oh, I do know a thing or two about that. What did you learn from that? What did you take away from that? That can be, a, I mean, it is a really, no matter what, a really difficult experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also then, I mean, you have your family reading these things. What, what did you learn from that? Or actually, and I could phrase it a different way. You can tackle it however you'd like. If you were to give yourself advice just before getting into that situation, mm. what would you have said? Have compassion for them. Have some empathy for them and understand that like uh, even, you know, all they're doing is they're projecting my capabilities based on their own experiences and, and imagining like if I were in Kyle's shoes, then of course, you know, like whatever, then I wouldn't be able to go do, do this or that. And if you don't have any experience, like if I've never trained with you or whatever, then it, it, it would make sense. A guy going into a fight, you know, punching and kicking is loud, you know, choking is loud, all of that stuff. It's like, seems like crazy and ridiculous until, um, if we train together, I can change your perspective. Right. Then it's like, <laughs> so they didn't, you know, in their map of the world and their understanding, then it was like, I get it. It makes perfect sense. And at the same time in the cage, I got to sit in there and be the first time in there looking out, not as a spectator, but as a participant. And it was like, such a cool view, man. It was like, wow, like 99.99% of the people that said those things would never have that view because they're so busy talking shit yeah. that they don't live their life to then have that experience. And yeah. I don't know, there's um, um, a Teddy Roosevelt thing, uh, a quote, you know, from a speech that he gave, but this excerpt is called Man in the Arena. Oh, yeah. And that, I, I, I really encourage everyone here, I mean, to go and, and check that out, made a huge impact on me. 
Man in the Arena, definitely check it out. You know what I also, because I was in the middle of getting dragged through the mud at one point for some like minor infraction on the universe. I don't remember what it was, but just like getting stoned to death on the internet by some like minor contingent of rabble rousers. And I was just really down on myself. And I watched Ratatouille and the <laughs> Anton Ego <laughs> review at the end. I'm going to probably take us back on track, but check it out. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, when you're in the Teddy cage. Roosevelt and, and Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. I'm going to class it up by bringing Ratatouille <laughs> awesome. into the picture. Uh, but Man in the Arena, for sure, a must read. That's so you're, really cool. you're in the octagon or the cage. What was going through your head as you enter, like, whatever stands out in your memory, when you're warming up and, like, getting ready, going towards it or getting in it? Like, what, what's going through your mind? So I started before this, like I used to, like in wrestling, I had overwhelming, like, like competitive, um, like, you know, anxiety and like pre-match anxiety. Like I would be overtaken by it. Like it was, and, and to the point where I eventually like wanted to know nothing about my opponents. And I remember like I beat a kid that was like super tough and, I, you know, it was like afterwards my coach was like, did you know he was like a two-time state champ? And if I had known going into it, I probably would have lost. So really going in this fight, I did so much like visualization and, you know, sounds kind of like woo woo, but it was like so much visualization. Then I think kind of like, I felt like I told my, my instructor, my, um, my uh, Paul Creighton is his name, my jujitsu coach at the time. I told him, I was like, I feel like I've been here like 10 times. Like this is like my 10th or 12th fight because I had visualized it so much that when I finally got there, I was able to be calm enough to be able to enjoy that moment. What happened in the fight? So it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world. My, my goal, my strategy, I wanted to go and cut the cage corners off to be able to, it was a square cage that we we're fighting in. I wanted to be able to go and then work the angles to then yeah. hit the low single or whatever it was to be able to go and drive him against the cage and take him down. Um, not much of a kickboxer, you know, <laughs> if you can imagine. And so a lot of it in the first round is kind of baiting him towards to come to me and, um, kind of uneventful. But by the second, second round, I was like, press the action. I'm pressing him, trying to cut the corners and all that. Didn't get him down. Ate some just jabs. Probably the hardest shot I ate was maybe in the second round. And then in the third round, I was like, screw this. Reckless abandon. Like, I'm just chasing this guy as hard and fast as I can. Like, 90 seconds. And then they, even the announcer was like, uh, the guy I fought was like, well, this guy's on his treadmill now. Like, you know, it was like more of a track event than it was an MMA fight. And I'm like, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out there. And then eventually I was like, screw this. Like, you, you know, if, if, if he's not going to come in and engage, then like, I'm going to force the action. I went and laid in the middle of the cage on my back. And um, he came and just crushed me on the liver. And I was like, oh, <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> Get back up. You're like, all right, plan B, plan B. But, you know, and, and the, in the Internet, it was funny. It was like so many people said, like, oh, Kyle's definitely going to die. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely going to die. Got to turn on the TV. It's going to be the first televised death. You know, it was like <laughs> my other, some of my, I was training with Forrest Griffin at the time. Oh, so yeah. my other, like, training partners, Forrest, it was before he was going to fight uh, Shogun. Who's like uh, legendary yeah. MMA Tough fighter? Dude. And they were like, Forrest is definitely going to die against Shogun. He ended up beating him, but it was like, Forrest is going to die. Kyle's going to die. This is like, this camp's going to provide the first two MMA deaths. Like, you know, but it was whatever. I didn't die. So, unless I didn't, it's just actually, this is the afterlife. Who knows? Right? You know, I didn't want to have to be the one to tell you. It's uh, <laughs> awkward. A little awkward. It's going to be private conversation. But. The, just the, the training for the public exposure, the fight itself. By far, the, the most valuable thing is that it's okay to have people pissed off at me or like mad at me or saying things about me and like whatever. And, and so I was like, 
uh, okay. Like it hurt at first. I was like, I read that and I was like, read all stuff. And I was like, man, I don't want to say that it like, didn't frustrate me. And I remember like I wrote this like post on the underground and all that stuff. And it was just like got buried and nobody even replied to it. It was like this yeah. whole wave just kind of kept going of the people talking about stuff that was out of my control. And I was like, they don't know. I want to go and show them and all that. And I'm finally like, you know, I think after, after it was done, I was like, the experience of it was like, screw that. Like, I don't, I don't need to convince everyone. Right. I, you know, there's plenty of people that, I don't need to go in and convince. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's just, we all walk around with this idea and myself included, we all do it. Right. But I try to remind myself all the time that I don't have a freaking clue what reality is. I don't know. Right. I don't know. And I want to be out in the world, to like go and try to figure that out and just give up my assumptions and beliefs and whatever those things are and not be tied to any one thing. And we go and see stuff right now with like the election too. And like how polarizing everybody gets. And we go and get so gripped to like these beliefs on one side or another. And it's not that one side or the other is better. To me, it's it's both the same thing. It's like we have to sometimes be able to go and see that like it's just it's just our own perception. It's just our own perception. It has nothing to do with reality. Well, you also mentioned in a way, I mean, something a piece of advice that was given to me at one point when I was getting very frustrated, and it was it's not about the people who don't get it, it's about the people who do get it. Yeah. Don't worry about the first group. Totally. And uh everybody has to read Man in the Arena. It is very important reading. It goes well with the serenity prayer. And I'm not a religious guy, but they actually go really well together. What habits do you have, practices, routines, traditions, anything to keep yourself positive? Because you're one of, at least in our interactions, one of the most consistently positive and enabling people for other folks, right? How do you keep that going? Or like, what are things that you find help? Hmm. to develop that or maintain it. Because for me, it's like I have to have those things. Yeah. It's like going to the gym. It's like it's not you read one book and you're done. It's not anything like that. I, th I think that right now that's probably the biggest thing that I'm struggling with in my life. You know, I, I travel close to 200 days a year and I'm like just, you know, just beat up by that. And like, you know, so it's different all the time. And that sort of routine and structure is it's definitely something that I've wanted to have more kind of consistency, you know, and I, I think that now I'm taking actions towards creating that in my life. I would say the, the one thing that makes a difference for me is I'm actually like, I can, I can fake extroversion well, but I'm not. I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'll need, well, I won't get it, but I'll need like 20 hours of sleep after this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Unfortunately, not in the cards, but, uh, but you, just, you know, and sometimes you get up and you do it anyway, even when you don't feel like doing it. Yeah. And that's, I think, the difference with like a performer or like someone that's a high performer, like you have to do it, right? Even when you don't feel like it. But there are plenty of times when I'm at speeches and stuff like that where, you know, don't, you know, don't feel like giving a speech that day, but yeah. get up and do it anyway. And it's, it's really a lot of it. The biggest habit I think that I've been conscious of lately, you know, there's so much discussion and I've, I've kind of, I talk about this in the speeches too, but it's like this like the idea of why, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big, con that's a big discussion. But I think the missing link that we have with that is there are like hundreds of whys that are occurring simultaneously for any given moment of why you're going to go and do anything, maybe thousands, but at least hundreds. I mean, right now you could come up with like a hundred whys on the spot. You know, if you had 10 minutes to think about it of like why you're doing this TV show. Yeah. And not to have like judgment over those things. Some things might be business related. Some things might be making an impact on people. And they're all, you know, it's, it might be just so many different inner things connected with that. And really what I've noticed is that's okay. And I get to go and then at that point kind of select 
what is the one that's going to be the most empowering place to come from with this? Mm -hmm. In this example, you know, I was a young entrepreneur and reading your books and like, you know, looking up to you. And like, so if I come at it from this perspective of like one of the whys of me being here would be like, oh, I want to do a good job for Tim. Right. But like, that's not the most empowering why. Mm -hmm. I mean, that can be part of it and can coexist with the fact that like there may be some people in this room right now that are struggling with things that are way more difficult than anything you or I have ever faced. Mm -hmm. And if one thing that either you or I could go and say could make one bit of difference with that person or, or people, then that to me matters way more than anything else. And I know that the, you know, all the other stuff of like, you know, look good on TV or like do a good job for Tim, like that would be taken care of is that, you know, it doesn't even matter. Yep. But like if my awareness is there, that's what matters. In so many instances, I've, I've been profoundly impacted by by veterans that were also in some really rough spots. Like I desperately wanted to serve. I mean, I wanted to go when 9-11 happened and, you know, we saw the planes go in the towers. I was like, I want to go bad, you know, send me and would have done anything to go. And, um, you know, it was high school, right? Testosterone and all that. And, and I've got so many friends that are in the military now. Some of my closest friends, active duty, some retired, some injured, some not. Anybody that's ever put on that uniform, I have a tremendous respect for. And <laughs> but on several instances and times where I've been feeling sorry for myself, you know, and I mean, I hate this word, but motivational speaker, right? Like the you know, motivational speakers or whatever, they have, they have bad days too, right? And you have moments where you know, feel like motivating, but then like I go and I meet some veterans and, you know, just have these just powerful experiences and things that like, just, just really reshape the way they go and think about stuff. I remember I was just sharing with, um, with some friends today about like, you know, I went in a couple of years ago, it was a trip just back to Walter Reed and got to, got to go and visit. Uh, we actually played the documentary fighting chance that we had a viewing at Walter Reed and, spent about an hour in this hospital room with this, this one kid who had recently been, been blown up pretty bad. He's 19, 20 years old. And he was sitting there with his dad and they said, um, you know, I mean, it was fairly recent that it happened and that when he, I was like invited him to come down and watch the movie with me. And, um, you know, we had maybe intimate kind of thing, 30 or 40 people in this room watching the, the film and like, um, you know, and seeing their reactions too, when the people would go and say the things that they said about me in the MMA fight, it was like powerful. I mean, there were like some of them wanting to just like strap up and go after those guys. I'm like, well, you guys need to chill. <laughs> but the, you know, so this one kid, I remember 15 minutes after the movie started and like he came, he was in his chair and he'd been blown up really, really high. Um, and lost both legs and like almost, you know, it was really high. And they said that that was like one of the first times that he got to come out of his room and like the first time that he'd come out of his room, maybe in like a, maybe like one of the first times ever, like since he'd been there and stuff like that, man, it's like, it, it put a different feeling and perspective on it. Cause it was like, it, it took away the, this idea that like I needed to go and serve with a rifle that, you know, but there would be ways that I could go and serve in other ways now. And I'm still and with, you know, every fiber of my being want to go in and find ways to go in and help those that have been over there to defend us. This is from Ryan Minnick. No excuses. 
your book was published a decade ago. Is there anything about the book that you wish you could revise? And I would just tag on to that or add or remove for that matter. Is there anything you change? <laughs> Man, I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I mean, really, like, I think a big, I can answer that and summarize that with it's a perfect snapshot in time of who I, of who Kyle Maynard was at 19 years old. And, you know, it's, it's not something, you know, a, a big weakness that I've had. And it kind of said, talk, you know, connected to what you'd say to even like, why speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing that? Well, a lot of it, frankly, is I don't have a good answer for that it's because of what I've always done. In many regards, I, I think that the struggle sometimes that I have now is is that someone will like read my book and, and have me come in and, and speak to their group, and that's awesome. But it's also like their map of who Kyle was is is like the 19 year old version, and like I'm like might not even talk about wrestling, right? It's like there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have plans to write more books? I do, and I mean, I, I, you know, I can't give you a BS excuse as to why I haven't. No, yeah. it's true. I think that the big reason of why I haven't, I'm kind of glad that I haven't. Extreme is, pain in writing is always my yeah, excuse. Yeah, right, totally. Well, I actually kind of see some of your posts, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. You know? yeah, yeah. No, but it's it takes a lot out of you. And at the same time, I'm like, you know, a book is a very permanent sort of medium. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm someday if I'll have kids or not. I have a niece and nephew. You know, and someday they'll have kids and all that, right? And their kids. And so, like, way after I'm gone and way after you're gone, those yeah. books will still be around as sort of oh, a yeah. way to, for people to know who yeah. you were. Yeah, I always tell people, and they're like, yeah, I really want to write a book, like maybe my spare time. And I'm like, <laughs> a mediocre book is more of a liability than a help. Trust Big me. Time. Can't pull that one. <laughs> Can't put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste and tube on that. <laughs> That's, <awesome. laughs> That's a really messy operation. It's not going to work. Uh, when you are traveling, what does a workout look like for you? <laughs> the, the, the pain cave. Yeah. How do you create that on the road? I, I, I try to, I mean, I know that just with my body alone, I can go in and make a lot of different things happen, different body weight things. And, you know, I mean, if I have one dumbbell or something like that, I can go and use it. It helps for me to have like a little bit of a mat or something like that, kind of like yoga mat or something to brace off of. But generally there's some form of even like any type of object, right? Like, you know, if I need to pick up this chair and go and move it around really fast yeah. in a bunch, it might look really weird for anybody that comes in on that. But like, you know, it's... <laughs> Like, I'm just imagining the cleaning lady. Like, right. <laughs> what is happening right now? Am I on drugs? Like, <laughs> totally. No. I got to get out of here. But this guy is. Yeah. This guy is definitely on yeah, drugs. Right? Definitely on drugs. <laughs> I don't want whatever he's got. Just make me move a bunch of chairs everywhere. <laughs> Worst recreational trip ever. If you had to give a TED talk on something that you are not known for, do you have any kind of pet obsessions, oh. things you geek out on that uh, that you'd present on? I mean, it, it's a little bit different, but I would say it's, it's, I'd probably give a TED talk on parenting, but not from like, I mean, I don't have any kids, right? So like, who am I to give a talk on that? But like, so seeing my, uh, my, my, my sister as a parent is really special. My niece was diagnosed with um, type one diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, and some days are like really hard for that. Like that's a disability that you can't necessarily always see unless you see maybe like a glucose monitor on someone or insulin right. pump. But like, you know, my sister's just. I don't know. She's just awesome with that. Like, it just is really special. Like the other day, you know, they were, she's at this birthday party and, and, um, this little girl came up to her and she could see that she had like a glucose monitor on the back of her arm. It was this princess themed birthday party. And this little girl was like, you can't be a princess because you have one of those. 
And my immediate response was like, oh, well, you can't be a princess because you're the devil. <laughs> <laughs> But, I think that's a fair response. I think it's yeah. a fair response. I think use head butter after yeah, that. Yeah, it's right. The little girl, right? That's it. <laughs> oh no, the person got it on YouTube, right? <laughs> <laughs> your phone. <laughs> but it's like Don't make me break your jaw. <laughs> Give me the phone. The um So how did your sister handle that? You know, she's like she'll talk to her about it and it's just like it's just in this like very kind of open open loving way and like yeah it sucks you know and like dealing with like the reality of it but it's really like they you know she won't let her be consumed with this like identity around like di the type 1 diabetes you know and it's like and kind of teaching her even at a young age like yeah i mean if you want to do something someday to be able to make a difference with this like you can yeah and it's like you know she's like four years old and then she's like this this the sweetest girl in my life i mean it and she's, I think that that too, in kind of her being around me and other things like that, it's kind of given her um, a level of like, you know, indifference about the disability, which I think is a really good thing. Like indifference there is like zero separation. It's just normal. Mm -hmm. and, and the only time that she's ever said anything, my, my niece, where we were, um, we were coloring together and it was this like Elsa, you know, Elsa and Anna kind of like um, thing that we're coloring. And, um, and she was like, looked at me, she was like, oh, Kai Kai, you don't have hands. And I was like, yeah, I don't. She was like, huh. And we went back to coloring. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. She's like, wait, okay. okay. <laughs> I, I love um, Tool, right? Maynard yeah. James Keenan yeah. in Tool. He's like, uh, he's the man. And like, I, I love him also too. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, wrestled at oh, uh, the army. Yeah. I saw a guy that tried to get on stage with him one time, got past security. And the guy was like, went to go and give him a hug. And like Maynard went to like give him a hug and he hip tossed him, took the guy's back, rear naked choke. The guy's like rocking out and Maynard starts singing again. And like, then the guy's hand just drops. <laughs> like this bad stage to run up on. Right. But he's, he's a guy where I'm like, I just wanted to hug. <laughs> So Maynard goes and um, gives up he's this music career, and he's still doing it, but it's like he's had this super successful career in music, completely gives it up, recreates himself as a winemaker. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No. Dude, you're like the wine guy. I like, well, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean it, you, I'm a consumer. I'm basically, I've drank like, I don't even know, like my body weight many times over and now that because of you. I thought for sure you would know that. Oh, oh yeah. No, I mean, look, I'm not going to, I am a consumer in not, my drinking it. capacities. Well, uh, you know, in, in wine though, it's, it's yeah. like a brutal business. Super brutal. It's kind of like, especially with, with the exception of a rare few, it's kind of like, okay, if you want to. <laughs> I can't remember. I asked this buddy of mine, owns a bunch of bars and, uh, I asked him why he didn't do restaurants. Like, why don't you have food on your menu? And he goes, I would rather, he's pointing to a window. He's like, I would rather put my hands behind my back, jump through that window face first, <laughs> take all of my money and light it on fire in the street, <laughs> then start a restaurant. And they explained it, but it's like, so he's yeah. kind of indifferent to it. He's yeah, like, well, it's right. just like magazines, <laughs> newspapers, restaurants. Jeez. Like you, you probably should just light your money on yeah. fire. And then wineries, it's like with the exception of a handful of people, very hard to make work. Yeah. Brutal, brutal. And you're at the whim of acts of God, right? Yeah. I mean, like totally. You have a bad season. You have a bad season. I think winemakers are some of the most interesting people because I think the ones that I got to in Argentina in this last climb and we were in the land of Malbec and spent time with this guy 
um, the, the wine was Ellen Amigo and had this like, you know, super masculine, like half scorpion, half man on the label. But it said at the end, there's only one battle that you remember and it's the battle within. So I mean, of course I'm like, this could be terrible, but I'm going to love it because of that quote, right? I'm like, yeah, but the guy was like testing limits and testing assumptions where he was growing grapes at altitudes that like people said you couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, you know, it's like, I love that you're, you know, can go and attest to those assumptions. It's like, yeah, that was, you know, it's in, it's in medicine, it's in everything. I mean, I just got to give a speech with Pfizer and I, I talked about the treatment that my grandma went through with this, you know, and cancer, you know, oncology treatment products are some of the things that they go and make and, and it, the, 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 the polarity that occurred and, and the, the tension that occurred in, in inside of our family and, and how that treatment should go was yeah. really intense. And it finally, I like, you know, she was dealing with oncologists that hadn't had, you know, they went to school that were like maybe 40 or 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. And it was like, they're at the very tail end of their careers and they're not up, updating the map. Right. And there's so many things like even um, fasting has had, you know, demonstrated profound effects on, oh, yeah. on, on, on um, you know, radiation and chemo treatments. That, oh yeah. It's incredible. I mean, you know, Dominic D'Agostino, I've interviewed a few times, uh, incredible scientist has looked at the effects and it doesn't, it's not effective for all types of cancer. It's not suitable for all patients, but there are published studies looking at how it can sensitize cancer cells to different types of treatments while protecting the good cells, healthy cells. Yeah. It's very, very fascinating stuff. Uh, and I just want to mention one thing, which is you were talking about how everyone has Everyone's like Swiss cheese. You know, we all have our disabilities. Just some are more visible than others, perhaps. Yep. So Malbec, this is, uh, and this may be an exaggeration. That's also mm. common in Argentina. <laughs> Very passionate <laughs> people. They love telling stories. <laughs> but uh, Malbec was not really well known in the world before Argentina. Hmm. But it was brought from Europe. And my understanding is that it was basically treated like a garbage grape. And then the immigrants brought it to Buenos Aires and it's turned into this world famous wine mm. that was discarded effectively. So you never know where you're going to find Dude, the strength. The garbage grape, man. Maybe that's a book right there. Right? <laughs> Seriously, I think about this. I'm like, every one of my favorite societies to go and study of like the Spartans and the Vikings and these warrior cultures, they would have like left me to die, right? <laughs> Take this one, throw them over the edge. <laughs> like the beginning of 300, where they're throwing the babies off. Like that would have been me right there, like clearly. <laughs> Oh my God. So many amazing images coming up today. King Leonidas. Yeah. I'm still thinking about you on like Coke moving your furniture. Uh, (laughs) Well, the night is young, right? Yeah. Yeah. The night, the night is young. That'd be a hell of a party. Uh, What time you got to film tomorrow? Go get the chandelier. I'm on it. Uh, from when you had the initial idea to do Kilimanjaro yeah. to the point that you were actually suited up, geared and about to start the climb, how okay. much time elapsed? So sitting in the bathtub, you know, with the ice, had the idea that was like fall of 2010, um, met my friend Dan, April 2011, and we started this project together. And then, um, so April 2011, and then by January 3rd, 2012, we were on the plane flying to Africa. You had to figure out a lot of stuff. Right. I mean, I mean, first was getting somebody that's crazy enough to take us. Yeah. Seriously. Cause it was like, so you know, how'd you convince someone to do it? Um, it was, it was rough. I mean, and I mean, we, I think, so thankfully one of, of my friends and mentors is a guy named Eric Weinemeyer that, um, was the first blind mountaineer to climb Mount Everest and every high peak in the world. And he actually just rafted 
the entire length of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. Wow. Uh, not rafted like in a raft. He was kayaking. Rather. Blind. Oh, wow. Completely, not like, not like, a, like you can peek through, like, you know, when you like put blindfold on a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Like, he doesn't have, it's like crazy to think about yeah, that. That's wild. And like, he's insane. He's amazing. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I saw, like, sought him out, uh, me and my friend Dan, who helped me co create the mission. And, um, we, you know, Dan was the first one that was kind of like the one crazy enough to go along with me. Um, he'd, you know, he'd been a record setting middle linebacker. But it was, you know, he was like five foot nine or something like that, you know, and like had 21 on us as tackles in the game. But it was like one of the most just passionate, esoteric, you know, just guys that, you know, I could connect with on that level. Almost burnt my house down because, you know, a couple couple (laughs) totally random story. But yeah, he like microwaved an aluminum coffee mug and I was doing some emails and I turned around, there's flames shooting out of my microwave, like, bro. So I hope he sees this, but you know, so it's like, but he's this kind of guy though, that was like, he go and run through a brick wall. Yeah. And I needed that person to go and have that belief with me. So then from there, we sought out Eric. Eric introduced us to our guide, Kevin Shrilla. Kevin had led. Uh, he'd managed uh, Eric's base camp um, of, of, Eric, of Eric's uh, Everest climb. So he was the base camp manager. He led, he's led more climbers up Kilimanjaro than I think any American. And many with disabilities led a guy almost to the true summit in like a hand-cranked bike. Um, group of like eight climb, blind climbers up Kilimanjaro. So with Kevin, he was really the one, that, you know, him and his partner Kristen, they kind of made it happen. Well, I would just want to thank you, Kyle, for honestly showing everyone that they can do more than they think they're capable of doing. It's a huge gift to the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Maynard. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com all spelled out and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by 99designs. I've used 99designs for years for all sorts of graphic design needs. Whether you need a logo, website, book cover, or anything else, 99designs was created to make great designs accessible to everyone and to make the process of getting designs much, much easier. So when I first started out, for instance, testing prototype covers and getting prototype covers for the 4-Hour Body, I went the contest route. That is one option. This is a great solution if you're looking for fast, affordable design work and the ability to choose from dozens of options risk-free. Let's say you need something late night, quick turnaround. Well, people in other time zones, other countries can also help you solve that problem. Since then, I've worked with 99designs on a separate path or a different option, and uh, that is the one-to-one project service. So, 
in a number of cases, and I'll give you one example, when I wanted to create the cover for my audiobook, The Tao of Seneca. This was a very important project to me. I decided to use their one-to-one project service. And with this service, you can invite a specific designer to your project, agree on a price, and then work together until you're satisfied. And they allow you to iterate and provide feedback and all this stuff. And I haven't shared it yet, but we also got some incredibly good, really some of the best illustrations I've ever seen from using this one-to-one project service with a handful of different designers and illustrators. It blew my mind. 99designs makes this all very easy and efficient. So you can check out the Tao of Seneca design and other work that I and your fellow listeners, for that matter, have done on 99designs at 99designs.com forward slash Tim. And right now, you can get a free $99 upgrade on your first design. Again, that's 99designs.com forward slash Tim. This episode is brought to you by WordPress, my go-to platform for blogging, writing online, creating websites, everything. I love WordPress to bits. Uh, My site, every site just about that I have is run on WordPress. And the lead developer of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, has appeared on this podcast many times. The very first episode in particular is amazing. The second I took a ton of notes on, so you should check it out. But WordPress, where do I even begin? I mean, The New Yorker uses it, Jay-Z, Beyonce, they use it, 538, TechCrunch, TED, CNN, Time. Whether you are looking to create a personal blog, a business site, both, neither, something else, you'll make a huge impact when you build your website on WordPress.com. Um, And directly from some friends at Google, I'm not going to quote them by name, but they say that WordPress offers the best out-of-the-box SEO, that's search engine optimization, imaginable. So if you're on WordPress, you immediately have a leg up on everybody else on search engines and so forth. In my experience, I'm no medical doctor of search engine optimization, but I, I will say that I used WordPress for years and fell in love with it to the extent that I became very close friends with Matt and then uh, became an investor uh, slash advisor to Automatic, which runs WordPress.com. That is how much I believe in this, and that's how a lot of my most successful products and investments have come about, because I'm in love with X, and then I seek out X. Nearly 30% of the internet is run on WordPress. And that includes everything from the huge sites that I mentioned to neighborhood sites. And it is super easy to get started. There's no need to worry about security or upgrades or hosting. They offer 24-7 support and handle all of that, which allows you to focus on creating the highest quality content that you can with the least amount of friction. I don't have to worry about downtime. I don't want to have to worry about getting emergency emails if I'm on vacation or something like that. And WordPress is my go-to solution for all of this. I trust all of my most important text on the internet to WordPress. And they can't buy that with a sponsorship. They can't buy that with anything. I want uptime, 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 and quality. And that is what I have selected after everything that I've looked at. So check it out. Go to WordPress. That's W-O-R-D-P-R-E-S-S dot com. WordPress.com forward slash Tim to receive 15% off of your website today. That's WordPress.com forward slash Tim. 